You're, you're, you're listening to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Didn't you coach Burt Reynolds? Yes, I did. Was he any good? He was a defensive back. I know. Was he any good? I said. 103.9 FM LI News Radio presents the Weekend Crunch with Errol Marks and Speedy Petey. Hello! And around the country, this is the Weekend Crunch. I'm your host, Daryl Marks, my co-host, Speedy Petey. Remember, you can listen to our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time only on 103.9. The LI News Radio Network brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Welcome to a new show, ladies and gentlemen, a new year of this wonderful show. And I'm very happy to be here again, as always, for another year to entertain you guys, including our friend Speedy Petey. Doing well, man. I uh, hope you're surviving the snow. If you're traveling right now, drive safe. A lot of snow recently. Hope everybody's staying safe and surviving the cold. Yes, it is very cold, but I love this weather. I actually went to Toronto and enjoyed the beauty of the colds. As Canada is a place where the only thing that there is to see is snow and cold. And if you could see cold, you could see it in Canada. That's for sure. But it wasn't such a great trip. There was a lot of things that happened to me on the trip that you wouldn't believe. I got robbed. We actually fell into that snowstorm that hit Buffalo, and then we stayed at the this place called the Comfort Inn. We were going to Toronto that night and we had to stop because the snow was very bad and the next morning we realized that our window was knocked out and the wine that we picked up at the wine festival was the wine that was stolen from the car. It was absolutely horrible, but life always finds a way. That's all I'm going to say. It was the worst thing that happened for a Long Island person going to Toronto since John Tavares. That's true. Toronto, a great place to check out. I've been there a couple of times and I was a hockey player, so as a kid kid, I was there a lot, mm-hmm. but this was the fifth time I've been to Toronto to sightsee, not play hockey, so <laughs> it was fun. Besides the crazy stuff that's happened and spending the, as much money as I had, I enjoyed the place. You live and you learn and stay in the United States. But we have a great show lined up for you guys a little bit later in the show. We will be talking to Fox 26 Houston sports anchor and reporter, Will Conkle. He's a good friend of the show. He's been on the show before. Very excited to have him on again. Bill Belichick scheduled to have a second interview with the Falcons. What does that mean? A second interview tells you that Bill Belichick is negotiating a deal with the Falcons and he will be the new head coach of the Atlanta Falcons. That's what I believe. Mike McCarthy and Nick Sirianni will return to their respected teams despite losing in the playoffs. I think Nick Sirianni should be fired. Mike McCarthy's had three really good seasons back to back to back, so I could see why Jerry Jones wants him to live out his contract, but Nick Sirianni who's flapping his wings, acting like (laughs) a lunatic on the sidelines for the Eagles and bragging when they were winning and then losing six out of seven games at the end of the season is not a guy that I would keep. Reports say that Brian Dable has destructive sideline antics towards other coaches. Now we can see why Wink Martindale decided to run. Wink Martindale is no longer part of the coaching staff, so it looks like Brian Dable is the devil on the sidelines. Maybe he's growing horn. Our three-for-all picks of the week. Raptors trade Pascal Siakam to the Pacers, so New York Knicks fans... 
Siakam is not going to the Knicks. He's heading to the Pacers. He's probably going to sign a big extension worth about $300 million. Knicks very likely to trade Quentin Grimes in a trade deal at the deadline. It looks like Quentin Grimes is going now that the Knicks don't need him in the lineup anymore. They made the trade for OG Ananobi, and now we don't need Quentin Grimes anymore after they could have received Donovan Mitchell in the offseason. So congratulations to the New York Knicks screwing that up. But hey, we did get OG Ananobi. The Nets interested in trading for DeJounte Murray. And so are the Knicks, and so is everybody in the world. I do believe DeJounte Murray is going to be a hot commodity at the trade deadline. I don't know if the Nets are going to get him, but better shooting from the hip, I guess. The Yankees signed Marcus Stroman for a two-year, $37 million contract with an option for a third year if he pitches 140 innings in 2025. So Marcus Stroman, the Patchog native, is heading back to New York, and it's not with the New York Mets. He's going to the Yankees as he grew up a Yankee fan. He's very excited going to his hometown team. I know Mets fans aren't very big Marcus nope. Stroman fans, but maybe there's a lot of Yankee fans that are very excited to see Marcus Stroman on the mound. As long as he wins, I'll be happy with that. But Marcus Stroman heading to the New York Yankees. We'll get into that. Money line mania with Chaz and Paolo. Papoose Paolo is back and he's ready to throw you some more winners. So Chaz is back too from Brazil and then came back and got COVID. So thank God Chazzy is healthy and we are ready to go. So why don't we get into some NFL conversation. Bill Belichick scheduled for a second interview for the Atlanta Falcons job. Bill Belichick deserves a lot of credit for dominating the AFC East. God riddance and hail to the new champion and domination of the AFC. It hasn't been the Jets, so let's pray to God that Aaron Rodgers stays healthy in the offseason. NFL Network's Ian Rappaport reports that the Falcons are scheduled to meet with Bill Belichick for a second time this weekend. Belichick already met one-on-one with the owner Arthur Blank, CBS Sports, Josina Anderson reports that since he is Now, meeting with them twice, it is almost inevitable that he will be accepting the Falcons' head coaching job. Belichick said he is targeting a talented but underachieving team. The Falcons recently interviewed Eagles offensive coordinator Brian Johnson and Jim Harbaugh as well. The Falcons will have $35 million in cap space and the number 8 overall pick. Bill Belichick is taking that job. I thought it was going to be the Chargers, but it looks like the Chargers are mainly going after Jim Harbaugh. And more than likely, Jim Harbaugh is leaving Michigan. It's interesting when you look at Bill Belichick taking over for the Falcons. Now, the Falcons are built very, very well. I do believe that there may be a quarterback and a couple of pieces away from being contender in a conference that's just crap. Bill Belichick would think, I don't want to stay in the AFC. I don't want to go in the Chiefs division where I have to play the Chiefs back-to-back times in a season. If I was Bill Belichick, I'd say I could go coach the Falcons. I'm in an easy division. They have a great tight end, which they didn't use right, and Kyle Pitts. They have Drake London, who I think is a great wide receiver, just needs to stay healthy. Bijan Robinson. This defense, this secondary, which was very weak the year before, played very well throughout the season. They made a move for Jesse Bates. It changed everything for that defense. They drafted a D-back. They might draft another D-back in this year's draft. And by the way, Bill Belichick is known to build secondaries everywhere he's gone. There's no weaknesses besides the quarterback position on this team. They still could get Penix. They still maybe could trade up at eight. Them and the Chargers are very interesting. And Arthur Smith just (laughs) fell apart in the second half of the season for the Atlanta Falcons. Bill Belichick, you know if he takes this job, he's bringing in Josh McDaniels. Mm -hmm. He's definitely 
certainly bring him as the offensive coordinator, and I wouldn't be surprised if he brings in another defensive coordinator that did take over on the defensive side of the ball for the Eagles this year after firing their defensive coordinator, Mr. Uh Science Rocket Machine. They're going to build a winning culture over there in Atlanta. Bill Belichick, he'll probably decide to go there, then the Chargers, because he has a chance very fast to win, because the only team he necessarily has to worry about year in and year out is San Francisco. The division, I think, is the biggest thing, because the NFC South, the way it's regressed, Tampa and the Saints had good runs at certain points. Tampa's still a playoff team, but they're not the powerhouse they were with Tom Brady, and the Saints are a talented team that's very poorly coached, and Panthers are just a dysfunctional train wreck right now. So, with Bill Belichick's influence there, Arthur Blank knows that the Falcons, this is their best chance to turn around, because these other seasons that they've had, without having much of a quarterback play, they've had decent talent. They're still 7-10. and 10. They're not 3-14. and 14. Bill Belichick is going to have control of this defense, which got better this year. You don't usually see free agent defenses get over one season and make it work, but the offense is the big thing they're going to have to fix, regardless of who the coach is. Quarterback, and maybe more receiving depth after Drake London. Cordero Patterson was okay, but Kyle Pitts and B. John Robinson, those are the two big guys that they're going to have to really You have three around. guys yeah. that could change an offense. Kyle Pitts, Drake London, and B. John Robinson. They're pretty good offensively, yeah. and their offensive line is, is actually not bad. Bill Belichick, in the way he runs his offense, he doesn't need a top-end offensive line, because he likes to get the ball out as quick as possible. If he gets the right quarterback, and the quarterback that makes sense for him, and that's why I think moving up in this year's draft and getting the guy that he wants, drafting the quarterback at 8, or bringing in a veteran guy like Jimmy G that can run his offense, I think that could help the growth of the young quarterback that they bring in. Bill Belichick with Josh McDaniels together, like their team offense, even without the greatest receivers, or the greatest running backs, they like to rotate a lot. They made that kind of thing work, and now they have top-end stars. They always had it at a tight end, but receivers, Wes Welker, they found off the Dolphins special teams. Julian Edelman was undrafted. These running backs, too. Besides Corey Dillard, like, nobody else is going to stud. They have that kind of thing considered a stud with B. John Robinson and Kyle Pitts if they can reach their athletic potential. I think that Bill Belichick, he's made up his decision. That's why he's going for a second interview because I think they're now just negotiating a contract and how they're going to want to move forward. And then I think you're going to hear probably at the end of the weekend that he is going to be going to the Atlanta Falcons. It's not a coincidence that he's going for a second interview. When you hear a second interview, it usually means they're closing in on him. That's the same thing with Robert Sala with the Jets. As soon as you heard a second interview, you knew he was going to sign with the Jets. I think the same thing over here. So it looks like the Falcons are going to land probably the best coach available this offseason and one of the greatest coaches that we've ever seen coach in any professional sports in a 20-year span. Adam Scheffner reports that the Cowboys will retain Mike McCarthy for the final year of his contract. Jerry Jones said that he didn't feel that the Cowboys needed a drastic change and supports Mike McCarthy leadership and progress he's made with the team. McCarthy said, we have established a championship program. I know how to win and I will get over this threshold. ESPN's Ed Werder reports that the Cowboys will bring back Dan Quinn as a defensive coordinator if he's not hired by another team as a head coach, which it seems like it will be Seattle. The Commanders, Seahawks, Chargers, Panthers, and the Titans interviewed Quinn in four seasons coaching for the Cowboys. McCarthy has a 42-25 and 25 season record, but is just 1-3 in the playoffs. The playoff record stands out. He also coached 
Brett Favre and Aaron Rodgers. And when he won the Super Bowl in 2010 with Aaron Rodgers, he won it as the final wild card team. Mike McCarthy doesn't get any credit on how this offense played this year. This isn't Kellen Moore. Kellen Moore went to the Chargers this past year. Justin Herbert couldn't stay healthy, and when he was playing, the offense was not good. Kellen Moore and Mike McCarthy did not get along. Mike McCarthy likes to run the offense faster. Kellen Moore likes to ease up on the offense, run the ball, and throw the ball in certain positions and ways to run the offense. And that was very different this year with Mike McCarthy. Mike McCarthy was getting the guys up at the line very quickly, and it was all fast throws. And Dak Prescott last year, why he made a lot of mistakes is he held on to the ball too long. This year, it was in and out of his hands. And that helped Dak Prescott. That also helped the Cowboys in running some of their slant plays and using Pollard in the open field, which they did well the year before, and it didn't work out as well as they thought this year. CeeDee Lamb had an unbelievable season. He's one of the best wide receivers in the league. You can argue he's a top three wide receiver in all of football. He broke every Cowboy record this year, having over 1,600 yards, 120 catches. He had a sensational year. I don't know where Dan Quinn's going to go, and more than likely, he's going to go to Seattle. Unless the Panthers or the Titans really want Dan Quinn and they want to jump on it as quick as possible. There's no way he's getting the Charger job. There's a chance he might get the commander job because they'll hire anybody. Harris is a new owner, so maybe he wants to bring in a big name. But it seems like it's Seattle or the Panthers. I do not believe that he's coming back next year. But I will say this for Jerry Jones. You're going into an offseason where there's a lot of questions. When is he going to step back and let his son take over as the GM slash owner of this organization? Jerry Jones is in his 80s. He's at the tail end of his life. And he needs to let a younger generation push the right buttons because the buttons have not been pushed right for over 30 years. They haven't won a championship since the 90s. They've had plenty of good teams. Probably one of the better offensive lines in the early 2000 era. Dak Prescott is not a bad quarterback. Now, is he good in the playoffs? He hasn't been. He hasn't shown up in the big-time spots you expect a starting quarterback to do of a huge organization that has been successful. Where did Mike McCarthy come from? The Packers. And he's trying to rebuild the confidence of a quarterback that people have given up on. You're going into the offseason. Dak Prescott is going to make $60 million next year. They don't have a lot of money in the offseason when it comes to free agency. So they're going into the season next year with practice the same team. So Jerry Jones has to be smart this offseason. And that's why I think his son needs to be more involved in the decision making of this team and this organization. And I understand why Jerry Jones kept Mike McCarthy. How could you fire a guy that's given you almost 12 wins back to back to back seasons? He hasn't won a Super Bowl. He's only won one game. He hasn't even been in an NFC title game. Just to find a coach that's going to give you consecutive winning seasons, it's not common. And I know a lot of Cowboy fans did not like the fact that Mike McCarthy's coming back. Oh, we have a chance to get Bill Belichick or we have a chance to get Jim Harbaugh. Jim Harbaugh was never going to the Cowboys. And I didn't believe at any point that Bill Belichick had any chance of going to the Cowboys. Bill Belichick is not going to ride Bill Parcells' jockstrap. He didn't want to do that with the Jets. He really didn't want to do that when he was defensive coordinator with the Giants in the 80s and the 90s. He wanted to be his own self. And he still went to a team that Bill Parcells at one point coached and took a team all the way to a Super Bowl in the New England Patriots. And he proved that he didn't need to 
to be on Bill Parcells' jockstrap to be successful. And he became one of the greatest coaches in NFL history, if not the greatest. Jerry Jones, he's contradicted himself over the years, holding on to Jason Garrett for as long as he did. And I thought he was like five years overdue from getting rid of him. Because Dallas, with Jason Garrett, lost three straight win-or-go-home games to win the NFC East. If that doesn't sell collapse of the playoffs, I don't know what does. And the Cowboys have had similar woes, but they're consistently in the playoffs. Besides the first year, where they went 6-10, and 10, Mike McCarthy's been in the playoffs 12 win seasons every year. Now, he has had clock management issues, not using certain players properly, like he did with Ezekiel Elliott, C.D. Lamb, and Ferguson, where the only consistent guys all year. So, yeah, there are definitely criticisms, but when you have somebody like Dak Prescott, who's going to get a big contract this offseason, you have to get the quarterback position right. And Dak Prescott, he was a good quarterback before that, but he has never been this great like he has been in the last two years. Even the 2022 year, where he led the league in interceptions, he still had some very good advanced metrics. A lot of that comes with McCarthy's development. Now, the defensive coordinator I would be concerned with, because I think Dan Quinn's going to Seattle, too. And they're going to lose a lot of players in that front seven, a lot of free agents. Maybe that's another reason they're trying to say we could just trust to be an offensive team, and that's why they trust an offensive scheme that works for them. ESPN's Jeremy Fowler reports that a team source told him the Eagles' locker room really lost the identity of the team. He also added that he expects Nick Sirianni to stay as a head coach, but changes will be coming for the coaching staff. Offensive coordinator Brian Johnson has interviewed for two head coaching positions so far with the Falcons and the Panthers. CBS Sports' Jeff Kerr reports that the Eagles players have stuck up for Sirianni, including Fletcher Cox, Jalen Hurts, and now retired Jason Kelsey. When he was ruled out for the playoff game, A.J. Brown deleted all Eagles-related information off his social media. After starting 10-1, the Eagles only won one game in the rest of the season and finished with a point differential of only plus five. After the game, Jalen Hurts did not seem very, very happy. I understand now he's sticking up for Nick Sirianni because he knows Nick Sirianni's job is up for grabs. And Fletcher Cox, he didn't sound very happy at the end of the game either. So now he's changing his thoughts. A.J. Brown is definitely not happy with Nick Sirianni. And I believe A.J. Brown is coming off an injury and A.J. Brown was not going to put his body on the line in the first wild card game. He could have passed. I don't believe A.J. Brown was hurt enough where he could not show up and play in that game. And not having A.J. Brown in that offense absolutely affected them big time. And when you depend on one wide receiver in Smith, who had a sensational game, but no offense. They couldn't run the ball. The Buccaneers knew what they were going to do. They were going to use a lot of Swift to gain well and try to use the running game to open it up for Smith. It didn't work out. They shut down the running game, and they knew that Jalen Hurts had to air the ball out. Jalen Hurts' game is not about throwing the ball. It's about using his legs. When they shut down the running game for Jalen Hurts and those running backs, then they knew they were one-dimensional. All they had to do was double-team Smith, and Smith still had a good game, but there was nobody else. Goddard was horrible, and he's been horrible all season long. Goddard was a high draft pick. We thought his development was definitely going to take a big step, but it hasn't. It's taken steps back, and losing A.J. Brown, they had nobody to fill in that spot that was going to help offensively, and that secondary, especially in the second half of the season, was absolutely disgusting, and Darius Slay getting hurt. That could be career-ending, but you will not see Darius Slay on the Philadelphia Eagles next year. Nick Sirianni, a lot of tension with switching off play calling. Brian Johnson's gonna call plays. Now I'm gonna call plays. And that kind of thing affected them. And once Nick Sirianni wasn't just the team culture guy, the guy that the players liked, you look at these guys turning on him. And A.J. Brown, who was never a diva wide receiver, he was always a very humble star. This is the first year where we've really seen A.J. Brown have these kind of issues. Yeah, he had a sour ending with the Titans a little bit, but the Titans really didn't give him any help. Got rid of Corey Davis. They had Ryan Tannehill at quarterback. Derrick Henry was the only offensive star that they had.
they had. And I look at the playoff game. You knew they were going to run the ball because DeAndre Swift had a great game the first time they played against the Buccaneers. All of a sudden, you know we're going to game plan? Why are you not adjusting for it? Well, Todd Bowles also is a very good defensive mind. Yeah. And, and Todd Bowles knows how the Eagles were going to run their offense. And one of the main reasons why they were running their offense with the running game was because their wide receiving core was not fully there. They knew that A.J. Brown was their playmaker. A.J. Brown was a top three wide receiver. If A.J. Brown didn't have such a beef with Nick Sirianni, I bet you he plays in that game. And it might have been a different score, especially when you're opening up the field, giving Smith an opportunity to run. Maybe Goddard's more open, and that running game could open up as well. And maybe Jalen Hurts wasn't pressured as much as he was in the pocket early in the game. So there was a lot of mistakes by the Eagles, and that has a lot to do with Nick Sirianni's coaching ability. And that has a lot to do with his coaches that he brought in after two coaches decided to go and take their coaching jobs in Arizona and in Indianapolis. And Brian Johnson, the development of Hurts initially, he did well with. And then after that, it was just a train wreck. You look at him not even running Jalen Hurts a lot this year. That's a big reason he was an MVP candidate in 2022. Shane Steichen actually used him in that RPO type system and they started to take it away. How many screens do they use? It got so predictable to the point where even the Giants defense, even the Cardinals defense that are so bad were figuring it out. And that's why they're losing to so many good teams. In addition to the defense which is abysmal. And Darius Slay I think will return to Detroit or something like that. He'll be on his way out. That team does not know how to coach defense when they don't have a pass rush. And Nick Sariani is an offensive coordinator. Nice guy but he's a yes man type of coach. Yep. He's not much of a leader where you're going to follow him. This is a very talented team. They made some good moves at the trade deadline. Off of waivers, they brought Shaq Leonard in. Shaq Leonard is an all-pro type of linebacker. You brought Briard in, all-pro player for a couple of years. And you can't win a game against a Buccaneer team that shouldn't have been there this year, that shouldn't have won the division this year. And Nick Seriani flapping your wings on the sidelines like an <laughs> eagle. How about being humble? When you're in your own stadium and you have your own fans holding up get rid of Seriani <laughs> and having chance that Seriani sucks, it says a lot about what your fan base thinks of you. Pat Leonard of the New York Daily News reports that many assistant coaches have said Brian Dable has destructive sideline antics. He also added that Dable almost never took blame for the Giants' offensive woes this season. Offensive coordinator Mike Kafka was frustrated on Dable for constantly taking away offensive play calling duties. Dable told Wink Martindale on a couple of occasions, you're going to lose us this game just like you lost the game against the Jets. Wink also mentioned that Dable cursed him out on many occasions, a big reason why he resigned. The Giants have lost Wink as well as four other assistant coaches so far this offseason, and offensive coordinator Mike Kafka is expected to get a load of coaching opportunities. I don't know what's going on with the New York Giants in this organization. Brian Dable has a very strong personality on the sidelines. He's a very well-respected offensive mind. I believe one of the only coaches in the NFL, you can call him a quarterback guru. I don't know what happened with him and Wink Martindale. It looks like two personalities clashed in the locker room multiple times. Last year, he took all the credit. Brian Dable took all the credit to the offense. What this team is going to go into in the offseason is, it's Daniel Jones or bust. Daniel Jones has one more year left on the contract, the four-year contract where they can opt out after his second year. And Daniel Jones has no weapons. And Joe Shane has a lot to be blamed for when it comes to that. Joe Shane has had two drafts with the New York Giants. They've added some young wide receivers. It hasn't worked. Why haven't you brought in a veteran? 
Why haven't you drafted a good fit to your offense? This year, there are good wide receivers. And Neighbors, Odunze, Coleman, all these guys could be available at number six for the New York Giants. But there's a lot that the Giants need to do this offseason that's going to help this team move forward in an NFC East that there's a lot of questions. Brian Dable has to look himself in the mirror and realize that he has a lot to blame for this team's mismanagement when it comes to offense and the mismanagement of what's going on inside the locker room with your players, with your coaches. Yeah, we saw last year with Brian Dable, he was good at making adjustments in games, and that was a big reason the Giants were so good in the second half of games, and even though they started slow a lot of the time, they were able to make adjustments, they were able to win close games, they started off 5-1 and one out of nowhere, and they ended up holding on to make the playoffs despite having a slump in the middle of the season. But this year, when they started slow, they never really seemed to make those adjustments, and who was supposed to be the play caller, they had to do something on offense that made sense. Saquon Barkley was misused at certain points this year. Darren Waller was fine, but he wasn't like anything explosive like you saw with the Raiders, and that has to do a lot with offensive coaching. Brian Dable has to realize that if Mike Kafka is the better play caller, let him call the plays, and Brian Dable, I think at certain points, was the better play caller, but they made it so dramatic internally that it really never got the Giants offense into a good flow. Their best games this season were against a really bad Washington defense, and at the end of the season against the Eagles, who seemed like giving up, and the Arizona Cardinals. Like, those are not supposed to be great defenses that you're doing well against, and those are the only games where you could really hang your head on. If that's the case, you're not going to be able to bring in other top-notch assistant coaches to help it out this defense. Martindale did a nice job in certain aspects of this defense. I'm not saying he was amazing, but he definitely did well with his blitz packages for a team that doesn't have a lot of edge rushing depth and a lot of corner depth on this team. He hit a lot of deficiencies of this defense. And their secondary, they drafted a good defensive player in the late 20s. They still need to fix that other side of the field. The Giants should be looking for a corner sometime in this draft or free agency. And also, it's not enough to just bring in neighbors or a no. Dunze or Coleman. They need to bring in another free agent weapon. You might not get Higgins. Maybe you pay him more money to bring him over there. But will it work? And the Giants offensive line has two pieces to the future of what this offensive line should be. You bring in Schmidt. Drafted him last year in a second round. He looks like he's a player if he could stay healthy. Thomas is one of the best left tackles in the league. But you got nothing at the guard positions. And your right tackle is putrid. Clean up that offensive line. Add some weapons in the offseason. And then you might have something. And now, ladies and gentlemen, are three for all picks of the week. The Buffalo Bills and the Kansas City Chiefs. The over-under is 45 and a half. I'm going to take the Bills in this game. I think there's a couple matchups I like. I like James Cook as a receiving back to help counter that blitz that Spagnuolo loves to do. I like their tight ends that played very well last week against the Steelers to play well again. Defense playing a lot better. I think they'll game plan for Travis Kelsey and I still don't trust the Chiefs receivers. And this Buffalo pass rush definitely better than last year. So give me the Buffalo Bills in this game. I think it will be very close. I'm going to take them on the under. Oh my god. The final game of Divisional Week Weekend, they're not going to Kansas City. It might be below zero in Buffalo. I can't wait to see the Swifties not dancing at the end of the game. I love Buffalo in this game. I know Buffalo played in a very close game against the Pittsburgh Steelers, against a third-string quarterback, and no T.J. Watt. But Kansas City is not the offensive team it has been over the last couple of years. I believe Josh Allen has something embedded into his brain to knock off Patrick, A.K. Pain in the butt, Mahomes. And that red jersey could be heading home. What Josh Allen has done all season long, especially in the second half, shows me that anything is possible. The Buffalo Bills, nobody thought, was going to the playoffs, especially the way they were playing in the first half. They came back and just completely dominated defensively. And Josh Allen had one of the best runs in the second half of the season behind Jordan Love, who was unbelievable too. So I love the running game right now. Cook has been running the ball very, very well. Even though Kansas City's defense has been one of the better teams 
in the league. I think it's going to cause big problems. It's going to open up the offense for Diggs. Kincaid has played very well since the loss of Davis. I expect him to be very big in the game. So is Knox. I think both tight ends will play a big part. Give me the Buffalo Bills knocking off the Kansas City Championship Chiefs as they will be former champions on the money line. All right, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and the Detroit Lions. The over-under is 49-and-a-half. The Lions impressed me defensively last week in the red zone against the Rams, despite allowing all those passing yards. They were able to hold them to a lot of field goals. And Tampa Bay had a lot of problems in the first half keeping the Eagles in the game because they were not finishing drives. Mike Evans, I think, has a big game. Baker Mayfield has a big game. But I don't think Rashad White and that running game will be as good as it was last week. So that for that reason, I'm going to take the Lions. I think it'll be very similar to that Lions-Rams game back and forth. But give me Detroit in this one. I'll take them on the over. This is going to be a very close game. Both defenses have been very very good the last couple of weeks and I love what the Buccaneers did this past week against the absolute horrific Eagles team. This is going to be a harder game. It's going to be in Detroit. The Lions are very hungry. They've been to one NFC title game. I have to give Baker Mayfield a lot of credit. He just won himself a lot of money. And I wouldn't be surprised if Baker pulls this one off. He was one win away from winning a game against the championship Kansas City Chiefs team a couple of years ago and heading to the AFC title game with the Browns. He has another chance to do it in the NFC. I just think that the coaching has been absolutely different on this side of the ball. I'm not going to take shots at Todd Bowles. He's had a very good season. But I love Campbell. I think he's been fantastic this year. And that, I think, is going to be the difference. I think Gibbs is going to be able to run the ball. He's been very dominant. The Buccaneers, even though they've been a good run-stopping team, they've had problems with good and fast running backs on the outside. I think they're going to use Gibbs. I think they're going to use David Montgomery. And I think LaPorta is going to be absolutely dominant in this game. Give me the Lions on the money. A game that's about to kick off in about a half hour. The Green Bay Packers and the San Francisco 49ers, 50 and a half. Packers were very impressive through the air against the Dallas Cowboys, but I think this will be a much tougher challenge against this pass rush for the 49ers. The Packers' interior offensive line, not as good. Cowboys have more run-stopping interior guys. The 49ers have good pass rushing type guys. So I think it'll be harder for Jordan Love to get those deep throws off. I think Jaden Reed, who was kind of quiet last week, will have a nice game, but I don't think you're going to see the same thing with Dobbs this week. And then Sniners' offense too much. I think McCaffrey is a big game. George Kittle has a big game against a Packers linebacking core that's a lot smaller. Struggles with physical tight end. So I think the 49ers win, and I think it's by double digits. Give me the Niners on the over. I think Brock Purdy is going to have a pretty good game. I also believe he's going to run in a touchdown. I think run the ball against a very good Packers passing defense. I think Alexander will play a big part in this game. He might be able to take Debo Samuel out. I think Ayuk's and I do believe Christian McCaffrey will have at least two touchdowns in this game. High scoring game. Jordan Love will keep it close early. I think in the second half, I believe the San Francisco 49ers in this crowd over there in San Francisco is just going to pull away from the youngest team in the NFL, the Green Bay Packers. Give me the San Francisco 49ers on the money line. And that, ladies and gentlemen, are our picks of the week. When we come back, we're going to have a very good friend. He's been on the show before, and now he has a new job. He's no longer in Carolina. He's now working for Fox 26 Houston sports anchor and reporter Will Conkle here on the Weekend Crunch. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. This is the Weekend Crunch. I'm your host, Arrow Marks, my co-host, Speedy Petey. Remember, you can listen to our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time only on 103.9, the LI News Radio Network, brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Check out the Worldwide Sports Radio website by going to WorldWideSportsRadio.com. Check out all our shows throughout the week, including The Loudmouth with me. 
and Speedy Petey. Wednesdays and Thursdays at 7 p.m. All you have to do to tune in WorldWideSportsRadio.com and check out our local listings. And whatever shows you've missed, go check out Apple Podcasts and Spotify, the Sports Loudmouth, or the Worldwide Sports Radio Network, Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Ladies and gentlemen, we're very happy to introduce for a second time on our show, he's no longer in Carolina as an anchor. He's now working for Fox 26 Houston Sports Anchor and Reporter Will Conkle. Will, what's up, buddy? What's up, boys? I have not covered football this late in a calendar ever, so it's been a blast, <laughs> man. How about the Texans? Who would have thought, too? Speedy told me you moved from Charlotte to Houston. Congratulations. You deserve it. Well-deserved. You've worked really, really hard over the last couple of years, and you belong where you belong, and as you grow, you can say you know us, and we could say we know you, because we love you as always. So why don't we get into it? The Houston Texans have had a fun, fantastic season. Nothing funny about it. They've been unbelievable. C.J. Stroud, he spoke up at the draft. He really thought he was mistreated. So many different experts said that he could fall out of the first round. He went number two. He swore that he was going to give the Texans a quarterback to remember. Taking over for a Watson who likes to get his hand jobs. Hopefully C.J. Stroud likes to keep his hands to himself because we know Watson doesn't. But anyways, what are your thoughts this year to the young quarterback and what has really changed for this organization going into the offseason? I think that it all started with the hiring of D'Amico Ryans. His strong faith, you pair that with C.J. Stroud's strong faith, the way they've really just kind of way they live life and who they are as human beings has really helped this culture. D'Amico Ryan's passion for the game, his energy, his positivity, like it was just very different. And then Nick Casario, the general manager, having the playbooks to trade up from somewhere in the teens up to number three to get Mm -hmm. Will Anderson. And then whether or not C.J. Stroud was top of their board, who knows? Most people did have Bryce Young. It's a conversation for a different day about the situation in Carolina, but like the whole demeanor changed with the hiring of D'Amico Ryan's and the drafting of C.J. Stroud. And I say this all the time, like every team, generally speaking, is a head coach and a quarterback away from figuring it out. Because if you don't have those, then forget about it. You're never going to be any good. And you're always trying to scheme around it. You're always trying to figure things out around not having the two most important parts of your team. And it's not about the coaching of the X's and O's as much as it is really about the culture. Those guys have the buy-in to what you're selling. So I think that's the biggest answer. So you covering CJ Stroud in Houston, like what is he like from a leadership perspective on and off the field with this team culture and with these players too? Because they had a lot of injuries at the end of the season with their offense. Beloved from day one. So before he even got in the building, Right after the draft, he grabbed veterans, he grabbed rookies, all the dudes that were tight ends and wide receivers. He bought their plane tickets, flew them out to Scottsdale, got them a mansion, told Nico Collins, like, dude, you're a star. Like, you have the logistics. You have the ability to be a star. And this dude had not had success in the NFL coming out of Michigan. Two years, he was under 500 yards. He's now over 1,200 yards this season. Like, that's an unbelievable turnaround. Brevin Jordan, get out of Florida, didn't have great success last year, thought he was going to get cut this year, he told me. Now he had that 75-yard touchdown in the playoff game. Like, he makes people around him better. He is absolutely beloved. He holds chapel on Saturdays. I say he kind of led that. And a lot of guys, coaches and players go, these guys love each other. So when you know the why of the dude next to you, and you want to fight for that dude next to you you're going to go the next step on the game and sacrifice just a little bit more because you know the dude next to you needs you to be your best in that moment when you're in a situation where you just don't give a damn you're gonna mail it in and just get your check go home and be good but when you see something special building like all that stuff that doesn't show up in analytics and all that stuff that doesn't show up in the box course that stuff is so real 
And this team has the talent and they have the buy-in and the care for each other. We are speaking to Fox 26, Houston sports reporter and anchor, Will Conkle. We love him. Going into this game against Cleveland, there was a lot of questions. The Cleveland Browns have been here before. They have a great defense, probably the best defense in football all season long. Practically healthy going into the game. There were some spots that could have been filled. They bring in Joe Flacco. Joe Flacco has had a sensational time since he's been there. He's played five unbelievable games. Took this team all the way into the playoffs. And everybody thought, Joe's done this before. He's gone on these runs. He won a Super Bowl with the Ravens. This is a Texan young team. They don't even belong there. They were lucky to make it. If Trevor Lawrence pulled out that win in the final game of the season, the Texans don't even make the playoffs. What were your thoughts going into the game? What were their thoughts going into the game? Did they have the belief that they were going to knock off one of the better defenses in the league? Like the confidence in that locker room, it's confident, not cocky. Like truly, none of them say dumb things. None of them talk out of pocket. They all say the right things, but there's a whole bunch of confidence. When you have number seven, when you have a quarterback that game's so different because you know every time you touch the ball you're one play away and that's exactly what we saw from the offense against the number one defense in the nfl not like top five in this metric the number one defense overall they picked apart and it looked easy as well so i think they knew that they were going to win i thought they had the chance to win because i thought the defense for the texans was healthy so they were going to be able to slow the browns down then it kind of got into that back and forth to start and you're thinking man this is going to be tough one but you got the guns to do it offensively now can the defense make some plays and then they gave up those 14 points and then that was it like the second half for the texans defense was pick six pick six turnover and downs turnover and downs turnover and downs game over Mm -hmm. It was a wrap, and they made them look bad. And the reason that this public has that perception of the Texans is because they didn't study anything about the Texans. They don't know anything about the Texans. The Texans aren't the Green Bay Packers. They're not the Dallas Cowboys. They aren't getting all this shine like the Browns were coming into the season. So the national media will look at 10 teams. These are the 10 teams that are going to compete for the playoffs, and and maybe five of them will have a chance to win the Super Bowl. And if they're not one of those teams, they don't really know anything about it because by the time that they're in the playoff hunt, they're like, all right, maybe. They're like in the hunt on the graphic, right? And that's what the Texans were. Well, they got healthy at the right time. They became good at the right time. They got all the confidence at the right time. Now, the national media is playing catch-up. I always used to say this when I covered Cam. Cam Newton was the ultimate professional. He was the ultimate teammate who was absolutely beloved. But the national media didn't cover the Panthers. They didn't care about Carolina because Charlotte's a small town. It's a small market. So every time they talked about Cam, it was about the towel over his head or him not diving on the football. Whatever small, minute thing that they found, they drew this whole picture to be Cam Newton when it wasn't reality. So now, for instance, we had a reporter in the Texans press conference question was what did you know about will anderson before the draft and what have you got to know about him like dude we're in the divisional round of playoffs that story's been done a hundred times so now all these people that don't know about the team come in here and start asking these dumbass questions that have been asked a hundred times and it's old news we know will anderson's story at this point if you follow the team but the national media comes in it's like going to the chicago for the first time as a journalist like oh did you guys hear about the taste of chicago like, like bro that story's been done like that's been done it's just new to you the texans are new to you we're way past all that and they're a good team so it's time to jump on board or don't be here man doing these <laughs> tough pieces would you vote Demeco ryan's as coach of the year for what he's done this season i don't know how you go against Demeco. i will say what stavansky did with the browns is the best argument without a quarterback without nick chubb the running back and they had him in the same exact spot they lost but again if you have your quarterback he but he did it he's the first rookie head coach and first rookie quarterback to ever win the division i don't know how you go against them but i get the argument for stefanski because they had a ton of injuries truly throughout the year and we're still 
still relevant. And then the kid with the Colts, decent argument, Stipe, but I think yeah. D'Amico did a better job than him. Mike McDaniel did very well, too, with the Miami Dolphins. Did he? Because he never beat anybody good. They were fun to watch. No doubt. And I think he's a good coach. Did they ever beat anybody good? They got waxed when it mattered most against the best teams. You play who's on your schedule and didn't play well against the better teams on his schedule. I would make more of a case that John Harbaugh should be the coach of the year because of what he did with his team. He did a great job, but what we do is we were like, oh my God, look at little D'Amico. Like, no one was expecting anything. So let's give it to him. It's mm-hmm. more like who did the most with the least when in reality, maybe there were some coaches like Kyle Shanahan. Everything runs through Kyle. So if that team's not good, it's because Kyle's not being good. Not to say that's not the case with D'Amico, but those two guys aren't going to ever get consideration because they have great players. Mm-hmm. Great players that people recognize as great players before him. Brian Dable won coach of the year and now everybody hates him. That's also New York. Four assistant coaches and one uh, top-notch defensive coordinator <laughs> decide to leave out of nowhere. Yeah, he goes crazy, man. And I don't know the whole story, but some of it just sounds like a lot of ego and control. And it's something yeah. that D'Amico doesn't have. He's allowed players to suggest to do things differently in practice. I saw when Matt Rule was the head coach of the Panthers, Teddy Bridgewater wanted to do more two-minute practice. And he was like, nah. Like, we're doing it this way. Jimmy Ward suggested more two-minute defensive and offensive practices. And D'Amico said, all right, I think you're right. They did it. And the next game came down to two minutes. And the guys were said they were so much more comfortable because they ran through it that many more times. Yeah, that sounded like the 2021 Panthers season. It seemed like every game they lost like 17 to 13. They had a lot of talent that was being wasted over there. There was a ton of talent that was wasted. Yeah. Because of, like, I don't want to just crap on the Panthers, but mm-hmm. it's easy right now. It's hard <laughs> to get the head coach. It's hard to get the head coach while you get the quarterback. It's hard to get the quarterback. you got to get it all together. That's why the Patriots. What they did under Belichick, we'll never see that again. It's crazy to put it that together that well consistently. And that has a lot to do with the quarterback and the coach. We are talking to Fox 26 Houston sports reporter and anchor Will Kunkel. A divisional game against one of the best teams, if not the best team in the NFL. They've proven it this year that they have the most all-around talent. And Lamar Jackson, who was fighting for a contract in the offseason, had his mother being his agent. He's one of very few people that decided to go into the offseason with no agent and get the contract that he deserves. And who knows where the Baltimore Ravens were last year if he was under contract. Maybe he comes and he plays in the playoffs with the injury that he had. But this year, they've been unbelievable. Their offensive line, one of the top five offensive lines in football. And they can run the ball. They lost their best running back in J.K. Dobbins. It didn't matter. Edwards filled in. Now they bring in Dalvin Cook. They're unbelievable. What are your thoughts going into a big game in Baltimore? Definitely think the Ravens have the upper hand. If someone loses, it's going to be them getting, quote, knocked off. Mm-hmm. But the recipe to win, as the Giants did in the past, was it a disruptive defense, ideally a defensive-minded head coach, because your, your team takes on that persona on the way when you're on the road, and it's us against the world, and it's like you want to be disruptors. And then a stud quarterback. Eli Manning played his best quarterbacking in the playoffs. Joe Flacco, when they went on that run, it was an elite quarterback showcase. Mm-hmm. And that's what C.J. Stroud's doing. So you've got the guy that can make the plays when it comes down to it, and you got a defense that can just make things tough enough for the other team to get things going and then you're around late and the Texans are, I think are now seven and three in one possession games this season it's so unbelievable they're equipped in the conditions the last game they played in conditions was the Jets game and they got absolutely dumped on proverbially and maybe <laughs> literally at that point they allowed Zach Wilson to throw for 301 yards I, I know. don't know that he's thrown <laughs> that many yards in his career leading up to that game it was horrible thank so you that was the for last reminding time. me of this I mean 300 yards the last that four one games goodbye could have the Jets draft 
drafting at six or five. So thank you to the Texans for losing a game they should have won. What's crazy is that the Texans lost to Zach Wilson and the Jets, and he went off. Desmond Ritter and the Falcons, he went off. Bryce Young and the Panthers, and he went off. Three of the worst quarterbacks in the NFL torched the Texans. And then the Texans beat Russell Wilson when he was on fire. They beat Joe Flacco when he was on fire. They beat Gardner Minshew when they were playing really well. They played Lamar pretty well in week one, just to go back to this matchup. So that's the recipe is to be as disruptive as possible. You know, I was talking to the defensive coordinator for the Texans, Mm -hmm. the mental sign of you've got Lamar in your grasp. You're this far away, inches away from a fourth and 17 right but he escapes runs down the field 37 yards it's now it's the first down it's like bro that was a 48 yard turnaround like mm. this is mentally to get over things like that is another hurdle you got to get over when you're playing lamar and so it's going to be tough the ravens are a better team that they've put together mm. and they played a tougher schedule but i'm not blown away if the texans win this game and if they do i don't think it's going to be like the browns game i would be wow. shocked if it looked like that well, anything's possible we've seen baltimore lay up a lousy That's goose egg true. over the years like, remember they got whacked Titans year yeah. ago. Yeah, so anything's possible. But I do believe that there's a lot of questions with the Baltimore Ravens and what they're going to put up as far as numbers are concerned. Lamar Jackson is a guy that goes into these games very confident. C.J. Stroud and him are very alike in a lot of ways. C.J. has a better arm than him, but Lamar, he has a strong arm. And I think what Lamar does better than anybody is he can move outside of the pocket and he creates room to run. And when he does, he's almost impossible to stop when he hits that second year. He's so fast and so dangerous in the open field. Now, bring up those linebackers, put pressure on him, make him throw the ball, make him make mistakes in the pocket. Joe Flacco, he's an old man. I call him old man Joe. You watch tape on Flacco. He was moving pretty well in the pocket. He wasn't like breaking free like Lamar does by no stretch, but like he was mobile enough to where he was breaking free. And he's huge. Like if that dude walked into a bar, everyone would be like, oh my, like what does that guy do? That guy is huge. And so he's not easy to break down. He's old man Joe. He was hanging out on his parents' sofa. This guy's a multi-millionaire, and when he gets a call from the Browns, he's sitting on his parents' sofa. This is a multi-millionaire. What are you doing at your parents' house? Are you living there? What's going well, it's on? It's not like you disown them. Just, <laughs> he's got a lot of time on his hands. It's not Aaron Rodgers who doesn't speak to his family. Stop doing Aaron Rodgers under the bus here. What is always the Jets? Let's make fun of the Jets today. That was the last time the Jets weren't an easy punchline. Thank you, Will. Thank you very much. I do love you as a person. I'm just a little lost with the Jets, and everybody likes to make jokes and the Jets are always the team to crack on. So. Hey, give Will credit. He's resisted enough trying to make fun of the Carolina Panthers. He's no longer working with them, so what does he care? He, he still knows people there, though. Well, so do <laughs> I. What does that so mean? Poorly. They have a rich owner that likes to spend money on coaches. And then he keeps them for a couple of years and says, oh, I don't need them. Let's send them over to college. He's making more millions and we'll bring more stupid people in there. And then they bring in a coach who I think if they just gave him a little bit of time <laughs> with the quarterback, hey, maybe he figures things out. Oh, no, we're going to fire him in the middle of the season. Well, that was a bad hire. I thought it was a good hire at the time. Yeah. I'll tell you why it's a bad hire. Because I talked to people that said he didn't do anything that he said he was going to do in the interview process. Yeah. And that he got wow. walked all over by the players. So I talked to people at the Colts and they were shocked to hear that because they heard it as well from people because he was like a leader of men. And that was why they brought him in because they wanted to have that culture of an alpha male in there that didn't have the ego that Matt Rule had. 
And then Frank just got walked all over. And it was coaches and players. It was sad to see, honestly, because I think Frank is an awesome human being. Yes, he is. And I think he's now done in the NFL. I think he's just like, we're, we're good here. Maybe the Jets bring him in as a offensive corner. <laughs> Love that. It's not going to happen because Aaron Aaron's, runs the team. Aaron wants Nathan. Aaron runs the team. And Aaron says, Aaron gets. As Woody Johnson. And Aaron says, listen, if you want the team, I'll give you a piece of it. I'll give you a quarter. Can he ask for new turf? Is oh, that turf? <laughs> what the hell? Horrible. I won't even use those words. Because I have been on that turf, by the way. It is putrid. As a matter of fact, it feels like I'm walking on mud or it's quicksand. No wonder why all these guys are tearing their knees and Achilles. Left, when the Texans left, I think they had five or six starters that just left the game because of injuries. It was horrible. Miami had two. They played the Jets. Heard <laughs> Fix it, guys. Season, you got so. two owners in there. Split it. Go 50 to 50. 50 to goal line, 50 to goal line. We're going to do you a favor. We're going to call MetLife Stadium. Pit Stadium. Isn't that get... life an insurance company, for God's sakes? Yes. <laughs> I'm going to need insurance after my weekend. I was in Toronto. The Niagara Nightmare. It was a nightmare. It went from a four-night, five-day vacation that probably should have cost us $2,500 to cost us $6,200. And by the way, it was nothing that we bought. That tells you where we were on that vacation. Thank you to Air Canada for being such a destructive, plain organization that don't know <laughs> what the hell they're doing. Doing. They're a plain organization. And I don't mean by planes, just plain organization that don't even know their ass from their tailbone. They're a bunch of idiots over there. They don't Isn't know how to speak English. The entire airline industry. They no, are... we got doors falling off of planes right now. So we get into the front of the line because this Canadian guy is telling people to get in front of us. Moving guys on the line. I'm looking at him. We were on this line for an hour and 40 minutes. He turns his head and he looks forward. I say, that's right. If you turn your head again, I'm going to spit in your face. Pissed me off so much. And I wanted to choke him. I wanted to give him that Undertaker tombstone. I just wanted to flip him over and drop him on his head. It made me so mad and, and then we get up there and the lady, she was trying to be nice, but I, I couldn't control myself. But anyways, well, we love you. Nice time. Congratulations on your growth and where you are right now in your career and as you grow, you'll come back to New York and, and you'll be a superstar here in the very near future. Say hello to your wife. How are the kids doing over there? So no kiddos yet, just the wifey. She's Damn loving it. it down here. Man. I was trying to slip it. Uh, maybe he'll tell us that <laughs> she's too. pregnant. I'm trying to tell your wife, I wasn't. Time. You got time. I'm starting to lose some time. I might have a heart attack by the time. Keep going to Toronto, you're going to have a heart attack. Well, that's true, too. If I keep going to Toronto, I might never be found again. Well, keep up the good work. We'll talk to you soon, buddy. Thanks, boys. Appreciate you having me. The great Will Conkle, ladies and gentlemen. Houston's own now. He's no longer in Carolina. He is actually a New York native, ladies yes. and gentlemen. But hanging out in Houston and enjoying the Houston Texans, doing what they're doing, and I love C.J. Stroud. So anybody that gets to interview C.J. Stroud every single week is a very lucky man. I love the success early he's having right now for the Houston Texans, and I believe he's going to win a Super Bowl there. Could win multiple Super Bowls the way he is playing, and they have a very good coach. So I'm enjoying what I'm seeing with the Houston Texans. Fantastic. Definitely one of the bigger markets as well, and it has a fun season covering this Houston Texans team. C.J. Stroud, Nemeco Ryan's instant leadership to that team, and it's really creating a fun season for this Houston Texans team and congratulations to him getting that new upgraded position. Yeah, and also Houston Astros, they added Josh Hader, five years, 95 million. So now you have one of the better closers in the league and they pull off a pretty good contract. Five years, 95 million for a guy that should be making probably a little bit over $100 million. Mm -hmm. So they got him on the cheap. So Conkle's going to be very happy with the baseball season as well as Houston will be in the groove of things now that they added some offseason help. I'm very happy for Will. He's a good friend of the show. He's a good friend of ours, so congratulations to him. When we come back, ladies and gentlemen, some handicapping and betting. These guys last year were at over 
80%. And this year, they're out for 80% as they're better than Vegas, ladies and gentlemen. We're going to have Moneyline Mania with Chaz and Papoose Paolo here on the Weekend Crunch. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. We are the Weekend Crunch. Listen to us every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time only on 103.9, the LI News Radio Network, brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network. Check out the World Wide Sports Radio website by going to WorldWideSportsRadio.com. Check out all our shows throughout the week, including The Loudmouth with me and Speedy Petey, Wednesdays and Thursdays at 7 p.m. All you have to do to tune into the shows and check your local listings is go to WorldWideSportsRadio.com I am back, no Toronto anymore I am safe here on the island And by the way, we have some exciting news for the Sports Loudmouth Which we'll probably announce next week We're adding another partner to our show It's going to be a big announcement So check out, we will have the announcement for all the Sports Loudmouth fans out there So very excited to make a, a fantastic announcement For an addition to the Sports Loudmouth Oh man, these guys are as good as they get I'm sure they have their thoughts on the divisional games. We call this segment Moneyline Mania. This is Moneyline Mania. Which has and the crew. From sea to shiny sea, ladies and gentlemen. Oh my god, he's back after seven weeks of craziness. Being sick, hanging out in Brazil for four weeks with his wife. Ladies and gentlemen, Chazzy Moto and Papoose Paulo. It's great being back. Paulo, I don't know if you got a chance to listen Thursday night to the Let's Parlay. Errol and Blackhawk West came on and they gave out the plays for today's games. They gave out some for tomorrow's games, too. Boy, they did good today, didn't they, Petey? Mm-hmm. Errol's got a triple parlay for the 49ers. Yes, Brock uh, Purdy rushing touchdown, a Brandon Ayuk and Christian McCaffrey touchdowns as well. That's a winning parlay. Next weekend is our annual AFC, mm-hmm. NFC Betaway weekend, where the Sports Betting Weekly crew meets in Las Vegas. Every year I invite people. Every year they can't come, and every year I go and have a great time, so I keep inviting them. We'll see Johnny D. John from GMF Sports will mm-hmm. be there. We'll see who else shows up, and we'll have a good time, but it's, I'm pretty excited. By tomorrow, Sunday night, we will know the four teams that I am seeing. It's such a shame, Chaz, that I can't come because with the European passport that I have, once you leave, you can't come back. I have we had time to the... go fix the Canadian passport, so or else I would have come. No, we dealt with the immigration issues from what we were doing with my daughter-in-law in Brazil. Once you cross the state borders, it's one thing. Country borders is a whole different animal. But let's talk about yeah, the first yeah. game, Paolo. The San Francisco Green Bay game. Last week, Green Bay cost everybody a lot of money. But since that game with Green Bay, I haven't lost a play all week. I'm back in big profits again. I'm all in on the 49ers, on the money line, on halftime, full-time, spread. Everything in San Francisco. San Francisco is going to beat Green Bay easily. At least 21 points. The teams coming off of buys, I don't really like using that kind of data. They have nothing to do with each other. The fact that they were number one and how they did that first game after a bye is irrelevant. The team that we're betting here, unless it was the 49ers. On paper, you would think that the 49ers are going to do what they're doing, but there's no doubt if you watch Green Bay, they're getting better every game. The kids are pretty good quarterbacks. 
quarterback. You got to give Green Bay credit. They have gone through three quarterbacks in the same time that Jets and Cleveland have gone through 47 combined. From Brett Favre to Aaron Rodgers, this Jordan Love kid's going to be around the wild. Jordan so Love old, this week is going to come down to reality. He's going to be running. 49ers are great in every aspect of the game. They had a run where they scored 30 points every single week for mm-hmm. like two months. That yeah. game there with the 49ers, the same thing that they did to the Eagles, they're going to do the same thing to Green Bay. By halftime, you won't even want to tune in. I'm hoping by halftime, it's over. Because that's my only bet on this game is the first half over. I just think teams oh, are going to yeah. score some points early. 21-7, 28-0, nothing. I don't care. So I get over 26. Get the points on the board early. Yeah, the Let me move on with my life. If you're going to score at least 35 points. The 49ers are going to the Super Bowl. They're going to win the Super Bowl. I did say it was going to be San Francisco or Cincinnati at the beginning. Cincinnati Bulls got hurt. The 49ers ain't disappointing. They're winning the Super Bowl. Tomorrow, Tampa Bay, Detroit. What's going to happen? That's an easy selection. This game is not even going to be close. Detroit's winning this game. Tampa Bay doesn't have a chance. It's going to be at least 1 to 13 points. Maybe even more, but don't look at last week. The game with the Eagles, it was like every possession, Tampa Bay was scoring points. But this week in Detroit, this is not happening. This game will not be close. Detroit wins most of the finals. We're at a point in the year where we kind of know these teams. The biggest issue this weekend is injury. More than weather. I agree with Paolo to the extent in my handicapping notes, I'm going to bet Detroit for all four quarters. I'm literally looking to sweep the board. I'm going to bet them for the first quarter, the second quarter, the third quarter, and the fourth quarter. Yeah, I'm betting Detroit too. Halftime, full-time. Tampa, they won't even be in this game. i got to give another shout-out to Baker Mayfield because there was a period where he was done. How did they not give him a contract? That's not a strong division right now, but 10 and 8 and they're in the playoffs. They just destroyed the Eagles that everyone loved. Yeah. Not you, Paulo. But, a lot of other people. But what a collapse. I mean, they went from 10 yeah, and 1 yeah, to 11 and 7, right? Yep. The season started. And think about who I they mean, lost to at the end of the season. They lost to the Cardinals and the Giants. Forget about losing to the Cardinals and the Giants. By losing to Tampa Bay the way they lost, they made Baker Mayfield look like he was a Hall of Fame quarterback. His stats were the best stats ever in the history of the franchise. Watching that game, it was so boring, but I was so off on the Cowboys game. Like I told Charles, I think I got cocky. Green Bay was scoring up and down the field like there was no defense. Green Bay did to them what Tampa Bay did to Philly. Scoring every way you could score. I don't think Dallas even got a stop. I haven't looked at the weather in Buffalo, but because we talk with Blackhawk West every day, we understand the weather in Kansas City. Sure, it's not your whole field, but the weather is the weather. Cold, snowy weather. They played in that before. They just haven't played on the road. Kansas City's got hardly any experience playing road games in the playoffs because they were always the number one seed. It looks like it's not going to be affected by falling snow, heavy snow before that. It looks like it's going to be not as bad as last week. So, Paolo, what's going to happen? I think Buffalo's winning this game. Buffalo's beating Kansas City and moving on. They face the Baltimore Ravens. Are you still on uh, the Ravens or are you back on the Bills? The Bills are going to beat the Ravens. They play. I struggle with knowing that the Buffalo Bills quarterback is just a pass away from throwing another pick because he throws them. He loses his mind and he throws passes that he shouldn't pass. I mean, you saw what he did last week. The dude's a stud. A 52 yard touchdown run as a quarterback. Who the hell does that? Lamar Jackson. Exactly. That's what I said. And, and, and I said, your quarterback is <laughs> a Ravens fan. Charles, we talked. He said that in the playoffs, Lamar Jackson, something just happens. But Lamar it has Jackson. been two years. 
years. He's going to play right. since then. The Buffalo Bills got a good chance to beat him. So if the Buffalo Bills beat him, then it's going to be a Buffalo San Francisco 49ers Super Bowl because San Francisco has an easy path. They just got to beat Green Bay and they're they're going to beat Detroit. I don't see a way where Green Bay beats San Francisco, but I think that San Francisco is going to give up some points to Green Bay. I really believe that. I don't think it's going to be a 31-7 kind of game. I'm hoping that the Detroit game is a good game, too. For me, it's hard to root against that. Detroit. Apollo, you said you had some soccer plays? I like a soccer play on Sunday. I definitely love Liverpool. I think there's goals in that game, and Liverpool's going to win. I love Juventus. Juventus is going to have an easy time against Lecce. Juventus has been undefeated in a lot of games this year. They're only two games back. I mean, what a turnaround. And then we're moving into Spain, because Spain's got some really good action on Sunday. Real Madrid's going to win pretty easily against Almeria. Odds are low, but me, I don't look at odds. I just put the money on. And then we got Barcelona with Betis. There, you got value. Barcelona's almost a 2 one going into Betis. Betis is one of the toughest places to go play, but I think Barcelona will win this game. I'm putting a lot of money on Barcelona to score a goal. Girona's the leader. Did you believe this in the Spanish champion? Girona is leading the Spanish La Liga. Who would think Girona? But this week, I see Girona and Sevilla both scoring a goal. One more game. This is in the Netherlands on Sunday. Ajax is going to completely, completely score goals like crazy against Wildlife. Easy winner. Welcome back, Chaz. Always be catching. a pleasure watching the games. Good luck. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, if you want winners, check out Moneyline Mania in this segment every single week. Papu's Palo and the great. Chazzy Moto. A lot of the same picks as our three-for-all picks of the week, and maybe Paolo could give you some tips on how to survive Canada next time you go. Never. I don't think you're going to see me in Canada for a very, very long time. So thank you to Paolo. I could have met up with Paolo. Where is he living right Montreal. now? Montreal. Uh, that's a little too far yeah. where it was, but maybe next time, if I do go anywhere in Canada, it'll be Montreal, because Toronto and Niagara, as you named it, the Niagara Nightmare, I will not be visiting for a while. I was going to the NHL All-Star Game to work the credentials in Toronto this year. Year. I was invited, but I don't know if I'm going. For at least another year, I am not going to Toronto. So I don't know if I'm going to the All-Star game, but I got invited. When we come back, ladies and gentlemen, some NBA conversation. Pascal Siakam is traded, but he's not traded to the Knicks, ladies and gentlemen. He's not traded to the Knicks. He's not traded to the Nets. He's heading to the Pacers. Rick Carlisle time, baby. And he won a championship with Dallas, so who knows what could happen. The Knicks very likely also to trade Quentin Grimes, but it won't be for Donovan Mitchell, which they should have done before the season. So when we come back, some basketball conversation here on the Weekend Crunch. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. As you know, this is the Weekend Crunch. I'm your host, Daryl Marks, my co-host, Speedy Petey. Remember, you can listen to our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time only on 103.9, the LI News Radio Network, brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Check out the Worldwide Sports Radio website by going to WorldWideSportsRadio.com. Check out all our shows throughout the week, including the Sports Loudmouth with me and Speedy Petey. All you have to do to tune in every single Wednesdays and Thursdays at 7 p.m. is go to our website at WorldWideSportsRadio.com. And if you miss any of the shows, go to Apple Podcasts and Spotify. You can check out the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. It has its own identity on Spotify and Apple. And also, the Sports Loudmouth now has uh, Apple Podcasts and Spotify and over 55,000 downloads in three months. So tune in and be a fan, ladies and gentlemen, as we entertain you guys for three hours every Wednesday 
and Thursdays. Oh my God, some basketball as Pascal Siakam is going to the Pacers. One of the best athletic big men in the NBA is now going to hang out in the field of Pacer land. The Athletic reports that the Raptors deal Pascal Siakam to the Indiana Pacers. The deal three first round picks and guard Bruce Brown. Brown was a six man for the Nuggets championship team last season and had a few good seasons with the Nets. Siakam is on his last year of his contract worth about $37.8 million this season. Siakam is eligible for a super max contract worth around five years and $304 million. The Pacers also lost point guard Tyrese Halberton to an ankle injury that could force him to miss around a month. The Pacers are tied for six in the Eastern Conference. This was an highway robbery. It's like the Raptors saying, here, take our best player. We appreciate the picks. We appreciate Bruce Brown. Bruce Brown will not be a part of this organization much longer, and we are rebuilding. I love the fact that this organization is moving towards R.J. Barrett. What are they, nuts? I love R.J. I did not want to trade R.J. Barrett. I was questioning the trade with R.J. Barrett. I think the Knicks won on that trade. And there's a lot of questions with this trade and could they re-sign him? Will they re-sign him? Does he want to be a Pacer? That's the question. They made the move because they believe they have a chance to come out of the East. And they do. If they have a healthy Tyrese Halberton, you're talking about the best point guard, the best passing point guard in the NBA. And then you add one of the better big man power forward centers in the league. Athletically gifted, can go up and get the ball. One-two punch, pick and roll at the top of the key would be fun to watch with Siakam and Halberton. There's a lot of questions on how this is going to work and how long it's going to take to get this team moving on all cylinders, but they're going to be dangerous. I don't know if Siakam will sign back with the Pacers. Now, he can only get the Supermax contract with the Pacers. Right. So, if he wants the money, he will stay with the Pacers. If he wants to take $25, 30000000 million. And one months, year less. Yes. I think he goes somewhere else. I think he'll look at other options before he decides to sign back with the Pacers, because even though the Pacers are up-and-coming team, we still have to see what Rick Carlisle could do with a bunch of good, talented players around his star point guard. Yeah, you look at the young players last year too, it seemed like the trajectory with Rick Carlisle, like it wasn't working for them and sometimes that old school coach mixing with new school players wasn't going to work, but this year you definitely saw the improvement right away in the beginning of the season. You talk about Halliburton, performance-wise he was probably the best point guard in the league before he got hurt. Maybe him and Shea Gilgis Alexander were switching off, but regardless, like he was one of them. Maybe the best in the Eastern Conference. And a lot of these other draft picks, Mathurin and Chris Duarte they drafted, they're good three-point shooters. Miles Turner who seemed like he was on the trade block forever, is a good center. So they, in addition to having good players, have a good coach and financial leeway if they want to give Siakam that kind of deal. So and it was surprising too on the Raptors end, like considering how much they were able to try to get out of the Knicks when they traded for OG Ananobi, getting Quigley and Barrett in that same deal. You would think they would have tried to push harder for somebody like Siakam, but I guess with the unknowing that he's going to sign because Siakam did say, oh, I'm going to go test free agency, maybe that kind of hurt the value for Toronto. So Indiana got a good deal and now it's up to them to be able to try to keep him, make him happy so he can stay there. Because I agree with you, if he hits free agency, I think he's going elsewhere. Hoops hypes. Michael Scotto reports that the Knicks are actively shopping Quinn Grimes in order to trade for a star player. He also added they are willing to move multiple first round picks and trade the contract of Evan Fournier in a potential trade. Grimes commented about a month ago that he was frustrated in his role with the Knicks even before the OG Anobi trade. 
Reports say that the Knicks have interest in Bruce Brown, who just got traded to the Raptors in a deal sending Pascal Siakam to the Pacers. Hawks point guard Murray and Piston small forward Bogdanovich are also players that the Knicks have been linked to. The Knicks are reportedly also targeting a defensive-oriented guard and backup power forward. The Knicks have six first-round picks in the next two seasons. You have six first-round draft picks in the next two seasons. Why are you trading them away? You finally have picks, and you're going to trade them away. And what they're trading them for, I like Murray. If you could get Murray, I love that move. Bogdanovich, he's not a star. You're going to give up. Quentin Grimes for Bogdanovich? This is the same Quentin Grimes you wouldn't trade him for Donovan Mitchell! That doesn't make sense! Why would you go after a Bogdanovich if you had a chance to get Donovan Mitchell? I love what Leon Rose has done. I love the OG Anobi move. I was surprised that they made a move like that. It looks like it's working out for Toronto just as much as it's working out for the New York Knicks. Bruce Brown? Is he a star? He's a good player. I remember him on the Nets. He was having a decent season with the Pacers. I wonder where they're going with this. If you're going to give up a significant amount of draft talk, which the Knicks have, they have six first-round draft picks in the next two seasons. How does this work for the New York Knicks? Because these names that we're seeing right now, Bruce Brown, Murray, and Bogdanovich, are not the names that I want to hear. I want to hear Carl Anthony Towns. I wanted to hear Pascal Siakam, who's now a pacer. That makes sense on giving up a significant amount of draft stock the way we're hearing the Knicks are going to have to trade to get an impact player. These guys are not impact players. They're looking for for an impact player to help Jalen Brunson. Now, they're going to say, well, we have one in Julius Randle. He is opting out of his contract at the end of the season. So you're going to make a trade for Bruce Brown and then you're going to extend him? And then going into the offseason, what are you going to have to get a max player? You're not going to have enough money to get a max player. So you're going to give away draft picks to bring in a player that's just a fill-in player this year. We sign him in the offseason because you're giving up a significant amount of draft stock for him. And then you're only going to have a significant amount of money where you can make a move for a little bit lower of a max player where you're not going to get the superstar player that you thought you were going to get in the offseason. Great move for the New York Knicks. I think it's an absolute dumb move by the New York Knicks. If you're not going to get a superstar to fill in at the position that they're looking to fill in, then don't trade the picks. There's no impact player on that list besides probably Murray, but Murray doesn't really fit with the Knicks because the Knicks have Jalen Brunson already, so you're going to lose a lot with trading for that. Those other guys are role players. Bruce Brown's a good sixth man, but not really much else. Bodanovich, good shooter, not much else. I don't know why they're trying to use their last big asset on their roster outside of Julius Randle. They try to trade Julius Randle in order to get that. Now, unless they traded only one first-round pick and one of their other young players, fine, but these players are not worth Quentin Grimes, who has the highest upside. Knicks were going to do it for anything more than Donovan Mitchell. So why would they do it for a player that's worse? All Cleveland wanted was either R.J. Barrett or Quentin Grimes and maybe a big man. I've heard Harnstein. I also heard Mitchell Robinson and three first-round draft picks to get Donovan Mitchell, who is averaging 30 points a game right now. He's one of the best guards in the league. And the Knicks, all they had to do was get rid of Quentin Grimes. Now all of a sudden, he doesn't fit with this roster now, now that OG and Anobi is there. And now you're just going to give up on him? You're going to say, we just lost a chance to get one of the best offensive players in the league who wants to be here. And we're now deciding to trade away the piece that everybody wanted last offseason and now doesn't want right now in the middle of the season where they thought he was going to fit this roster like a glove. I also look at them needing size. Don't make sense. Trade for these other guards. Yeah, I understand they could use some more three-point shooting. They really need size with Mitchell Robinson not likely to be out for the rest of the season. He might come back for the playoffs. Fine. Isaiah Hartenstein's held his own. Chua coming in from the Raptors trade is doing fine, but I don't think that's really the big area they have to address anyway. Any of these players being rumored are not the ones to go for right now if you're going to trade somebody like Grimes. 
And also, there's other teams looking for these players. The Lakers are looking for a guard. We've heard Murray's name being brought up. We've heard Bogdanovich's name being brought up. Of course, the Knicks are going to be linked to him. I want to see the Knicks go after somebody outside of the box. Evan Fournier, nobody wants Evan Fournier. The Knicks are trying to move it. They've been trying to move him for the last two years. Nobody wants that contract. That was one of the worst contracts Leon Rose gave to a player. What about Kuzma? Would you be interested in that? I would take Kyle Kuzma. Yeah, I, I, to play defense. He's a rebounder. He could score. He could give you 20 points. He could be your sixth man. He could come off the bench and give you automatic offense. Mm-hmm. He's something that the Knicks need off the bench or even as a starter. And right now, their rotation is good. You're seeing all these players start to develop. And Anobi could be a 20, 25-point guy in the future. He reminds me of a Jimmy Butler. Now, Jimmy Butler, when he was drafted and he went to the Chicago Bulls, Tom Thibodeau was there. He developed him from a defensive player to an offensive player. Now he's a two-way player, one of the best two-way players in the league. I'm not saying Ananobi is Jimmy Butler, but he reminds me of a younger version of Jimmy Butler. So I'm interested to see how this is going to work. And this team, defensively, with Ananobi, and if they could get Mitchell Robinson back before the season's over, which I'm hearing that he could be back for the playoffs, that says a lot about where this team could go throughout the playoffs. Because if you get Mitchell Robinson back, you have your paint guy. You have a guy that could defend the paint and maybe not go after a big man. Because now that you're hearing Mitchell Robinson coming back, why would you go after a big man? You could wait into the offseason. Maybe Minnesota just chokes at the end of the season or chokes in the playoffs and they say, you know what? We're not going any further with Cat. Let's trade him in the offseason. And then the Knicks have the money to spend and they have the draft stock to get him. The New York Post, Brian Lewis, reports that the Nets have expressed interest in Hawks point guard DeJounte Murray. Lewis added that the Nets would likely trade Spencer Dinwiddie in a potential trade as well as some young players like Cam Thomas and multiple first-round draft picks. Another report mentioned that the Nets will definitely not trade Mikel Bridges in any deal at the trade deadline. The Nets are looking to make a move that could take them over the top. Now, if you get DeJounte Murray, does that give the Nets an opportunity to be a contender in the playoffs this year? No. If I were the Nets, I don't trade Cam Thomas. Cam Thomas is a player that you found in the draft that could be a star in this league, and you're going to just part ways with him because you want DeJounte Murray? And DeJounte Murray is a good point guard, and he puts up great numbers. But if he was that great, why did the San Antonio Spurs decided to part ways with him? You're going to bring in another personality where you have guys like Ben Simmons there. And Mikel Bridges, he's a great player. His contract is up after next year. He's a free agent. Where do you think he's going to want to go? His three best friends are playing for the New York Knicks in Hart, Brunson, and DiVincenzo. All three of those guys played with him in college ball. So where do you think Mikel Bridges is going to want to go if he becomes a free agent? And I know the Nets are going to do everything they can to resign him in the offseason, but he might say, you know what? I want to wait. I want to go to my free agency, and I want to see what's going to be out there because you know where he's going to be heading. So I don't know why the Nets are going to be willing to trade away first-round draft picks. Haven't they done enough <laughs> in trading away first-round draft picks over the years? And Marks, he's made a lot of mistakes over the last couple of years. Bringing Kevin Durant, bringing in Kyrie Irving, bringing in James Harden, giving up all those draft stock of players in Houston. Houston is singing to the promised land right now because they could be lottery picks. And the Nets, they finally get first round draft picks for the Kevin Durant trade. And what are they going to do? They're going to trade him away for DeJounte Murray. This isn't Donovan Mitchell. They know they have no chance at Donovan Mitchell because he doesn't want to play for them. They also need size too. They need more size than the Knicks do and the Knicks have all their size is injured. There's no point in going after another guard for that reason. They have enough score 
scoring power. The Nets have a good offensive team. Cam Thomas is doing very well. Mikael Bridges might not stay there long term, but he's doing well. And that's what you have to build on in the scoring aspect. Basketball now is a lot of not as much position specific if you have talent on your team. Point guard is one of those positions. Yeah, it's hard to find a good one. And same kind of thing with the center position that's as well-rounded as DeJounte Murray because he's a balanced player. He doesn't really have a significant flaw in his game, but at the same time, the Nets don't need that kind of thing right now. The Nets, they're dumb enough to maybe do that kind of thing if they want to trade all these first-round picks away because they just traded a first-round pick for Royce O'Neal of all players, but still. They also took in Ben Simmons and Ben Simmons has played six games all year. They're not really building an ideal team culture. Why would DeJounte Murray want to stay there long-term even if they do trade for him? I don't understand it. But again, DeJounte Murray is going to get a max contract. The Nets will be able to give him a max contract. Sure. Not a super max contract because he's not a second all-NBA player. So he's not going to get a super max contract, but he'll get a max contract and he'll get the most from the Nets because Nets have control of him. But how much is he going to lose? 25, 30 million? So I don't think it's a big deal to DeJounte Murray if he decides not to stay with the Nets. And that's why I think the Nets should hold back and not trade away any draft stock. They made a lot of mistakes over the last couple of years doing that and it set their team back and put their team in a really bad position. And that had a lot to do with Marks because Marks did exactly what Mr. King did and traded away their future. Their future at one point was very good. And they had a great coach there who now is the assistant coach of a Golden State Warrior team that's falling apart themselves. When we come back, ladies and gentlemen, some MLB conversation. The Yankees signed Marcus Stroman for two years and $37 million with an option, ladies and gentlemen, for a third year if he pitches 140 innings in his second year. And 2025 is not far apart. A New York Long Island native is heading back to New York to his hometown favorite team, the New York Yankees, here on the Weekend Crunch. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. This is the Weekend Crunch. I'm your host, Daryl Marks, my co-host, Speedy Petey. Remember, you can listen to our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time. Only on 103.9, the LI News Radio Network. Brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network. Check out the World Wide Sports Radio website by going to WorldWideSportsRadio.com. Check out all our shows throughout the week, including the Loudmouth Wednesdays and Thursdays at 7 p.m. All you have to do to check out our local listings is go to our website, WorldWideSportsRadio.com. The Yankees finally land a pitch. And it's not Yamamoto. Marcus Stroman signs on a good deal, a cheap deal, and going home to his hometown favorite team, the New York Yankees, for $37 million. A fantastic move by the Yankees. He should be the Yankees' third guy in the rotation behind Rodon and Garrett Cole. So I'm excited. I don't know if Blake Snell is heading to the Yankees after his agent came out and said that he wants $250 million. I don't know if the Yankees are going to open up their pockets for Blake Snell. But adding a Marcus Stroman does help out in that rotation if he could stay healthy. MLB.com's Mark Feinstein reports that the Yankees signed Marcus Stroman to a two-year $37 million contract. Stroman is eligible for a third-year option for $18 million if he pitches 140 innings in his second year of the deal in 2025. The Yankees were interested in trading for Stroman in 2019 before the Blue Jays traded him to the Mets. Stroman posted a picture of himself on Instagram in a Yankees jersey before the news of 
officially broke. Strowman said about playing in New York, I'm from New York and I'm a New York boy. That kind of says everything for itself. Strowman had a 3.95 ERA, a 1.26 whip, and 119 strikeouts last season. Strowman has a 3.65 ERA, a 1.25 whip, and 1,091 strikeouts in 1,304 innings pitched in his nine-year MLB career. Do I like this signing? Yes, I do. I don't know what he's going to be in the locker room. I don't think he's going to be a problem because the Mets have no leadership. For all the Met fans that say, good luck to the Yankees, it's not going to work. It didn't work with the Mets. Here's the difference. The Yankees have Aaron Judge as their captain. The Mets don't even know what a captain is. Their last captain they had was David Wright, and they practically pushed him away. Marcus Stroman. If he doesn't work out and he opens his mouth, he will be gone. The Yankees will move him. He cannot mouth off to the Yankees management. He will not mouth off to Aaron Boone because he's not going to tolerate it. I think this is a good move because I think Marcus Stroman has always wanted to play for the Yankees. He grew up a Yankee fan. His plan was to win a World Series, which he has never done. He has a chance to win with a good Yankee team, especially if they land Blake Snell. So I think that if you're a Yankee fan, I think you should be happy with this. For a pitcher that's been pretty much a number two his whole career. Two years, $37 million at 32 years old is a steal. Wanted to come here and he was giving the hometown discount Mm -hmm. to the Yankees because he wanted to come home to the Bronx and play in Yankee Stadium as a Yankee. Yeah, I think that's exactly what it was because I think his market value was probably in the lower 20s for the year he had last year. He fell off in the second half but was an all-star. He wasn't healthy. The Cubs realized that maybe that kind of thing is not sustainable the types of years he's had because he's been kind of inconsistent year to year but he's had some good seasons. What worries me about this is another control pitcher, finesse-type pitcher in Yankee Stadium. Is that going to work after we saw Sonny Gray and some of these other shortcomings that we've seen? Will a ground ball-type pitcher who doesn't get a lot of strikeouts work? And that's why I like the Rodon signing at the time, too, because he was a power pitcher that consistently got 200 strikeouts. Cortez in his top year got close. Is Stroman going to either adjust to his game or get enough ground ball success to Carlos do it? Carlos Rodon's going to be fine. I like year. Carlos Rodon. I'm not as worried about that. Stroman is the type of pitcher with those types of ballparks. Yes, he's used to it. I understand he has some good numbers in Yankee Stadium, fine. Is he going to be able to adjust to it on a longer-term basis where he's going to be pitching almost half his games in Yankee Stadium? The money is actually good. If they can establish the locker room quickly, that's going to be a wild card being in New York, but if they can establish that quickly, maybe it's not a problem, because with the Mets, I wouldn't have traded for the Strowman at the time, but they had no sense of direction at the time, too, and they still really don't, but we'll see on this move. I just worry about it from a softer-type pitcher in Yankee Stadium. I'm interested to see what Marcus Strowman is going to be in this rotation and where this rotation is going to lie. I believe that Blake Snell wants to to be a Yankee. I think the Yankees are still trying to negotiate a deal that makes sense to bring a Blake Snell in. The Yankees would be in pretty good shape if they had a Blake Snell to this rotation because this turns out to be arguably the best rotation in baseball if they do that because you have back-to-back Cy Young guys in the National League and the American League. You bring in Marcus Stroman. He's the fourth guy. You have Carlos Rodon as your third guy. Nestor Cortez and Schmidt. This is as good a rotation as any rotation in baseball if they can stay healthy. And I know the Strowmans. I know their personality. They're very confident guys. Their father's a weightlifter, big man. You see Marcus, he's 5'7". His father's like 6'2", muscular too. And he was a pretty good baseball player. His brother is going to be a nice player too. His brother can hit the ball. He plays multiple positions. So the Strowmans are from my area and interesting personalities. And I think the Yankee fans, some people will like him because he's cocky. And others will probably say when he starts to lose, if he loses, that he's worthless. I think he'll win. If he's the fourth guy in this rotation, 
if they had Blake Snell, he could be a number two in some other rotation. You have two guys that could be number twos in other rotation as your number three and your number four guy. And then you have Nestor Cortez, who was an all-star a couple of years ago, too. If he could stay healthy, you have him as your fifth guy. And then Schmidt is your sixth. So I don't think the Yankees are done. Stroman <laughs> says he and Cashman hashed out their past beef during the contract talks in 2019. Cashman said we were interested in Stroman, but we didn't think he would be a difference maker, Cashman said to Yahoo Sports in 2019. We felt he would be in our bullpen in the postseason. That pissed off a pitcher that wanted to be a Yankee, grew up a Yankee fan. It pissed him off, and he didn't want to be a Yankee. But Marcus Stroman still has a lot to prove. He's 32 years old. He's a right-handed pitcher. He's playing in Yankee Stadium, ground ball type of pitcher, which is good for Yankee Stadium. That's what the Yankees like is ground ball pitchers. Problem with him, he's injury prone. And this has been a problem for the Yankees pitching staff for years. Their starting rotation cannot stay healthy, as we saw Carl. Rodon. They gave him money that last year. He was one of the better left-handed pitchers that were available in a very long time. Now Blake Snell. I do believe the Yankees will seal the deal with Blake Snell. There's a reason why Blake Snell has not signed with another team. I think they're still negotiating with the Yankees, and that's why I think he believes he is going to go. But Marcus Stroman is a different personality. We saw him with the Mets. He didn't get along with some of the guys in the locker room. We've heard he didn't get along with certain coaches. That's something that the Yankees needed to look at before they decided to sign Stroman. They get him on a very good team-friendly contract. The third-year option only goes if he pitches 140 innings in his second year. So the Yankees are put in a very good position because they still could go after a big-name pitcher and another left-handed pitcher, and it gives them three pitchers that are lefties in their starting rotation. And that's something the Yankees' rotation they haven't had in a very long time since the 90s and something that the Yankees need in their rotation in the playoffs. Yeah, and again, you also look at Stroman, who depth-wise really helps that rotation. And a lot of his injury issues, I know he was hurt at the end of the, uh, the season last year with the Cubs, but most of his injury issues came earlier in his career. That's a, a track record you could trust a little more than some of the other pitchers they brought in. Remember, they tried to bring in James Paxson, how injury-prone he was, and he really never pitched much for the Yankees. Same kind of thing when they signed free agency Zach Britton. He had some injury issues at the end of his Orioles career, and they didn't really take that into account. It's interesting with Snell, too. I saw a report that he wants $250 million. He's not getting that. I don't think he's going to get it either at this point, but he also said that the Yankees were so far off in their first contract, but he's willing to go to them again because other teams were giving him about the same thing. And it seems like the West Coast thing that I thought might have affected them, I thought the Giants or even the Dodgers before they went in after Glass now would have gone after them. It doesn't seem like that's going to be a thing to the Blake Snell. I don't think the Yankees are going to give him 250. I can see no. the Yankees giving him 200 million. Yep. He's worth 200 million, but here's the problem with Blake Snell. Over the years, he's had injury problems too. Yep. So that's something that the Yankees have to worry about. Look at Carlos Rodon. They gave him 27 million a year, signed him to a six-year deal, and look, his first year, he barely pitched. And when he did pitch, he pitched like crap. So the Yankees need consistent rotation pitching. Marcus Stroman can be consistent. He was good in the first half of the season for the Chicago Cubs yep. and then fell off. Maybe because of injury, his calf wasn't 100% healthy. And it's interesting with the Brian Cashman thing because Brian Cashman has had problems with players over the years, including his own players. And Derek <laughs> Jeter, when he went to the Hall of Fame, Brian Cashman went to his Hall of Fame inductee. He pulled Derek Jeter to the side. And Derek Jeter said they had to rehash and hash out the stuff that he had problems with with Brian Cashman when he was trying to negotiate his final deal with the Yankees and hash out some of the things that was said behind Derek Jeter's back by the Yankees organization because of Brian Cashman. And Brian Cashman has had that problem with players of his own and players in the league. Some players don't want to play for the Yankees because of Brian Cashman. But here's the thing about Brian Cashman. Brian Cashman has had over 30 straight winning seasons. That says a lot about who he is as a GM and what George Steinberger thought of him when he decided to name him as the GM 
GM of the future for the New York Yankees. And he has been there for a significant amount of time. He's worked for the Yankees organization. A lot of these different GMs are executives or assistant GMs have come from Brian Cashman's repertoire and have become successful GMs in the league. So you say whatever you want about Brian Cashman that the Yankees haven't won a championship in 14 years. It really doesn't matter. What stands out for the Yankees, what stands out for what this organization is known for is winning. And if you can win and have a winning season, that says a lot about the organization, even if you're not winning World Series. Yeah, and you also look at that kind of connection with Brian Cashman and Marcus Stroman, too. It's good that Brian Cashman is trying to establish that kind of thing after all the stuff that happened with the winter meetings and the comments he made about Giancarlo Stanton and all that. It's good that they have a player relationship that they could trust now with somebody like Marcus Stroman. Now, Marcus Stroman, we don't know what he's going to be because he has been inconsistent year to year. He's fallen off in the second half a lot. I do worry about that kind of thing in Yankee Stadium, the type of pitcher that he is. But at the same time, it's a player that definitely wants to be there, and it's a player that still could lure other pitchers there. Even though he's not respected by a lot of these coaches, organizations, he's actually had good connections with a lot of his veteran teammates. Now, the issue with the Blue Jays, Mm -hmm. with some of their rookie players, that he wasn't uh, getting along with them when he first came up in 2014. He wasn't getting along with a lot of the Met players. The Mets had a weird trajectory with everything, because outside of Pete Alonso, that team had no leadership whatsoever, and they had managers that loved to do stupid things off the field. They had Luis Rojas, who didn't know what he was doing when it came to player relationships either, and they had GMs that had off-the-field issues as well. So the Mets are just a dysfunctional mess on its own. I'm not going to make that independent of Marcus Stroman, but the Blue Jays, they built a good team with those trades, the big trades for Donaldson and big trades for Tulowitzki, and they built a team very well overnight, but Stroman, who was a younger player, really didn't get along with them. But the Yankees, and also with the Cubs last year, they kind of established that kind of thing quickly, and it's good for Cashman to be able to make that kind of move as well. And I think Cashman knows what he's looking for and knows where this team could be this year if they add a guy like Blake Snell and what they did with Marcus Stroman. They gave themselves some depth, and that's something that the Yankees have not had over the years, and they had Domingo Haman, and it didn't work. And as they decided last year to move King to the starting rotation, why did they do that? Because they didn't have enough depth in their pitching and starting rotation, and they had to move King from the bullpen into the starting rotation. Now this year, you added Marcus Stroman. Now you add maybe a Blake Snell. Now you have enough for the rotation. If there's an injury there, their rotation, if they have four good dominant pitchers and they can bring a young pitcher from their farm system up for their number five, or maybe even a Schmidt could turn out to be a third or second starter. Because I remember when Schmidt was drafted, everybody said he has the kind of stuff that could be your second starter in your rotation. He really hasn't developed into that, but he pitched very well in the second half last year. Hopefully Schmidt is starting to figure things out as a young pitcher. And maybe that was one of the reasons why the Yankees decided to keep him. Yeah, especially what happened last year with Carlos Rodon. They really can't afford to make that kind of mistake with any of these other pitchers too. These guys that are injury prone as well. Now Stroman, his injuries have come more in his career, but that same kind of thing was with Rodon too. And they still misdiagnosed it, mismanaged it, whatever it took because Rodon, they brought him back early. Then he had all those back issues and then he never was the same this season. I think he will bounce back. Now Marcus Stroman is that same kind of thing. Most of his injuries are nagging injuries, nothing really significant, but they still have to manage it that same way. And if the Yankees don't do that, they're going to have those same kind of problems where you're forcing Clark Schmidt or these other types of young pitchers, the ones they didn't trade in the Soto deal, to be in roles that they're not comfortable with. And we were talking about it with Jabba Chamberlain, how Brian Cashman and this regime with the Yankees made these pitchers pitch in roles that are very uncomfortable for Mm -hmm. them. And I think that affected a lot of their developments. And if they can't manage it properly with Stroman or even any other star they bring, if they do bring in Snell or somebody else like that, or they make a trade, then all of a sudden you're going to have that same problem. When we come back, the last great segment we do every single show, Courage Time! Here on the Weekend Crunch. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. As you know, this is the Weekend Crouch. I'm your host, Errol Marks, my co-host, Speedy Petey. Remember to listen to our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time. Only on 103.9. 
the LI News Radio Network, brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Check out the Worldwide Sports Radio website by going to www.worldwidesportsradio.com. Check out all our shows throughout the week, including the Loudmouth, every single Wednesdays and Thursdays at 7 p.m. All you have to do to tune in and check out all the great content we have is go to our website at WorldWideSportsRadio.com. If you miss any of the shows and any of the live content that we put out there, you can go to Apple Podcasts and Spotify. You can check out the Worldwide Sports Radio Network, or you can check out the Sports Loudmouth, which has broken over 55,000 downloads over the last three months. So check it out if you miss any one of the shows. Oh, it's been a great one. A new year, and this is my second show of the year, as I missed last week. I'm here to entertain you guys. I'm sure you missed me, as we had Josh Silverberg filling in for me last week. Thank you to Josh for filling in for me, and thank you to Will Kunkel for joining us, and thank you to all the great picks for our Moneyline Mania team and Chaz and Paolo. But we do this every single week, the last segment of the week. Game time! It's time for Crunch Time. All righty, we'll start Crunch Time with the game that just got underway. Both Aaron Jones and Christian McCaffrey have at least 100 scrimmage yards. I absolutely don't believe that Aaron Jones is going to break 100 scrimmage yards in this game. This is one of the best run-stopping defenses in the NFL. They're ranked third in the league and a dominant force with Nick Bosa and this talented, talented line. I do believe Christian McCaffrey will have multiple touchdowns and have over 100 yards, so I'm going to sell that. Yeah, I'm going to sell that one, too, because I also don't think the Packers are going to be able to just get ahead like they did against the Cowboys. They're up 26 nothing at one point, and I think Aaron Jones will be able to get the carries. Also, A.J. Dillon coming back this week. He'll get into that as well. Aaron Jones receiving definitely could be an impact, but I don't know how much Jordan Love lo- loves using those wide receivers. I do agree on McCaffrey, but I agree with you. Jones will not. I am going to sell it. Buy or sell. Josh Hader, just signing with the Astros, will lead the major leagues and saves this season. I'm going to sell that, ladies and gentlemen. I think he's going to have a great season, but the Houston Astros have a dominant bullpen, and I don't know if he's going to be the closer every single game because I think this bullpen is as good as any bullpen in baseball, adding a Josh Hader. So, I'm going to sell that. Yeah, I'm going to sell that one, too. He's the best relief pitcher in baseball because he doesn't have to be just a closer. Now, I'm never one that's obsessed with these closer formality. I always like guys that can be used in multiple roles, and they have somebody like Ryan Presley, who's still a good closer, one of the top five guys in saves last year. So I think, especially with the new manager now and Joe Espada, he's going to be a more new school guy, be, be more creative with this bullpen. So he'll have a great year, but not lead the league in saves. I am going to sell that. All right, let's go to the Bucks and Lions game. Both Amon Ross St. Brown and Mike Evans have six-plus catches and 100-plus receiving yards. I'm going to buy it. I think Mike Evans is proven that he's still an elite wide receiver in the league and we all know what St. Brown could do in a game. Both teams have had problems in certain halves of the season with their secondary and I believe both guys will have over 100 yards. I will buy that. Yeah, I'm going to buy that one too. I think this is a great matchup for Evans. This is a line secondary that struggles with the outside corners and St. Brown is very consistently productive. He might have not had the best receiving year but he might have had the most consistent receiving year. He did not have a lot of bad games and the Bucks secondary, it's good but it's not amazing so I'm going to buy that one as well. The Leafs just give a big deal to William Nylanderberg. Does that mean something for Mitch Marner? Buy or sell? He will be traded within the next year and a half. I do believe in a year and a half. I don't 
don't believe this year. I think Marner will be traded in the offseason. It doesn't look like they're going to be able to sign Mitch Marner now that they signed Nylander, so I'm going to buy it. Yeah, I'm going to buy it too, because at what point do the Leafs realize they need something else? Because they're still kind of stuck in that mediocrity. Now Florida's overtaking them in the Atlantic Division. you got Detroit like right on the same tail as them, and Detroit's a much younger team with a lot more cap space. So at some point, they're going to have to make a move like that. I think they'll do it this offseason as well. I'm going to buy it. All right, both Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes have 250-plus yards and two touchdowns. I'm going to buy it. I think this is going to be a slugfest. Two defenses that are dominant, but every time these guys meet in the playoffs, they put on a show. I think it's going to be high-flying, high-scoring, and maybe goes to overtime, as we all know the Josh Allen rule, but I think it's going to be Buffalo's to win. So I am going to buy it! Finally, we have a disagreement. This one I'll sell. I actually think Patrick Mahomes is going to have a tougher time in this game with the lack of receivers. I think Buffalo will be able to game plan a little more for Travis Kelsey, and I do think Josh Allen will, but Mahomes, I know he doesn't phase the goal, but the first road playoff game, and I think Bills have done a nice job game planning with this new defense, even with all the injuries. So I'm going to sell that one. All right, buy or sell. DeJounte Murray will be a Nick or a Net. I'm going to sell that. There's no way in hell he's going anywhere here in New York. I don't think the Knicks need another point guard. I know he's a shooting guard. I don't know if he fits, and I don't know how much the Knicks are going to be willing to give up a significant amount of draft stock. They have six first-round draft picks now in the next two years. They're not just going to throw it away on a player that might not fit this team. So I don't think it's a Knicks, and I definitely don't believe it's the Nets. It's been said that they want at least multiple first-round draft picks from the Nets, and the Nets are not willing to do that, as what we've seen over the last couple of years, throwing away first-round brick after first-round pick. If it wasn't Marks, it was King. So I'm going to sell that. Yeah, I'm going to sell it, too. I know the connection is there with Sean Marks used to being with the Spurs. DeJounte Murray, he was part of that drafting there. But still, I don't think that makes a lot of sense for the Nets right now. The Nets need size, and the Knicks definitely doesn't make sense for them. If the Knicks are going to trade for anything else, I think look after like a three- or a four-type player, a forward that could help him out. If they do get Donovan Mitchell, they'll get Donovan Mitchell for a good bargain because he wants to go there. But I don't think they're going to trade multiple first-round picks where the Knicks have a bunch of them and can use them on a better player. Leon Rose is too smart for that. I will sell it. All right, one more. Ryan Dable, with all his off-season antics, will be fired either in the off-season or during the season next season. I'm going to sell it. I don't think he's going to be fired. If he was going to be fired, he would have been fired now. I do believe he's going to get fired after this coming season. I buy that by the end of the season, he will be fired because I don't think the Giants are going to add enough to help them win. They have to make the playoffs. If they don't make the playoffs, there's no way he keeps his job. I don't know if Joe Shane is going to be able to make enough moves in the offseason. They'll get a wide receiver in the draft. I do believe they'll draft one in the first round, but I don't think they're going to be able to bring a free agent. I don't think Higgins is going to want to go there. I don't think any player is going to want to go there after reading this story that he is like the devil on the sideline. <laughs> Growing horns, ladies and gentlemen. I do believe that Dable is going to be fired in the next year. I don't think the Giants are good enough. I think the NFC will get better in the offseason, especially if Bill Belichick heads over there. I'm going to sell that one. I do think he'll get a chance with at least some of these new offensive players that they're going to add. Whether they add a new quarterback or not, I don't think they will, but I do think he'll get more of a chance with that. I do think Mike Kafka could leave to coach somewhere else, but I do think Brian Dable will at least get this season. If he still fails again this season, then he'll be fired. If you look at especially a weaker NFC East that could come with Dallas having a lot of free agents, Philly have a lot of free agents, a lot of questionable signings with the, the coaches. We'll see if they could do it on the hot seat again this year for both of them. Washington should get better, but who knows with the Giants. I don't know what the direction they're going. Again, so I am going to sell that one as well. The real question is if it, Joe Shane's going to keep his job too, because his last two drafts have not been good. For all the people out there that were taking shots at Gettleman when he was here, 
Go look at the guys that he brought to this team before he stepped down. What has Joe Shane brought to this team? And this team has not been successful in the last two seasons. I want to hear about his first year and what Dable did in his rookie season and winning coach of the year. They played one of the easiest schedules in the NFL. They did beat Minnesota in the playoffs and got their butts whipped by the Eagles in the <laughs> divisional game. This is not the same team that it was in the first season. Teams are starting to figure him out. And you can see that Dable has uh, an ego. And when you have an ego, it doesn't work when it comes to the coaching staff. And and you can see the difference of the team and the way the team played in the second half. So uh, a lot of problems in New York for the Jets and the Giants as the Jets decide to keep Robert solid because Aaron Rodgers is running that team. And the Giants deciding to keep Dable. I think that the only reason why the Giants are keeping Dable right now is the fact that he was coach of the year last year. And even though he had a bumpy road this year, this feels like a Nick Saban thing. And Nick Saban is a very good friend of his, and he also was the offensive coordinator for Alabama, and he's been a part of the Bill Belichick regime. This seems like Nick Saban. Nick Saban had a great year his first year with Miami. He was 9-7. and seven. As we all know, Dable's record in his first year with the Giants. And then his second year, Nick Saban was 6-10, and 10, and what was Dable's record this year? Six and 11. Six and 11. It seems like it's very fitting, but Dable did not get fired in the offseason. He's moving into his third year with the Giants, and Nick Saban stepped down and went to Alabama and won how many national championships? Six. Very interesting. I, I threw you guys a curveball. But it's been a great show. Thank you to Fox 26 Houston sports anchor and reporter Will Conkle for joining us. He's fantastic. I know he's a very, very busy man. He's married and he's enjoying himself, hopefully seeing a couple of kicking feet <laughs> as I mentioned to him, but I'm very happy for Will. He deserves He's a hard worker in the industry. Thank you to Moneyline Mania, Chaz and Paolo, Papoose Paolo, by the way. You're probably wondering why I call him Papoose. If you don't know who Papoose is, he's a rapper from over here from New York, and he has his way of doing things, and I think Paolo does too. So mm-hmm. I'm very excited to have these guys back for another year of Moneyline Mania. I want to thank all the fans out there reaching out to me, asking me where I was over the last past couple of days. I wasn't on the Weekend Crunch last week, but I hope everybody enjoyed Josh. Josh always is good to fill in for me. Thank God that he did, but I'm very happy to be back, and I'm here to entertain you guys for another year of the Weekend Crunch. Thank you to 103.9 FM. Thank you to Bruce. Thank you to Joe. Thank you to John. Thank you to Pat. Thank you to all you guys and all the fans out there to tune in and listen to the best New York sports show in the country. Yes, it's us, baby. It is us. But I hope everybody enjoys their weekend. We will be back for the Islanders pregame show next week. Back to the UBS Arena against the Florida Panthers. So we will be doing the pregame show for all you Islander fans. I hope you enjoy that. And I hope you've been enjoying that for the last year with me and Speedy Petey doing the pregame shows for Saturday. We'll be back next week. So tune in. Check out the Sports Loudmouth. Go to Apple Podcasts. Go to Spotify. Check out the Sports Loudmouth. And check out the Worldwide Sports Radio Network as well on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. We'll be back next week. Enjoy Divisional Weekend. Enjoy all the Sunday games as well. And we will talk to you next week. Good night, everybody.